Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Fermentation Festival, um, and Big Alice is pouring me a brew. Hello. Say your name and where you're from. Uh, I'm John. I'm the head brewer at Big Alice Brewing. What are you? Uh, what you pouring at the Fermentation Festival? So today we're pouring our we're pouring our story of farmhouse today. Uh, we used 100% uh, New York State ingredients on this. The uh, malts are from New York Craft Malt, and the hops are from Upstate and Willet. Uh, and what we did was we fermented this beer using a wild yeast strain that we cultivated from the skins of wild figs in Astoria, Queens. What is this, what is this New York State nugget and New York State centennial thing that I'm looking at here? So those are the hops from New York State. Uh, we're a New York State farm brewery, which means that at least 20% of all the malts and hops that we use in every beer comes from inside the state. So we wanted to bring some to just kind of showcase the local ingredients today. These, like, don't look like hops. They look like little uh, pellets that you would, like, feed your rabbit. Uh, why is that? Exactly. So those are uh, pelletized hops. So what they'll do is a lot of the hop farms will, uh, they'll take the whole cones and they'll process it down to pellets. Uh, it makes it a lot more efficient for us to use as brewers. Very cool. Ah, how are you enjoying the fermentation festival so far? It's great. We were here last year. We, we love this event. I'm at the New York City Fermentation Festival um, with 810 Mead Works. Uh, can you say who you are and where you're from? Yes, so I'm uh, Brian. I am the mead maker and owner of 810 Mead Works. Um, and you guys are in Med- Medina, is that right? Yes, Medina, New York, which is the midpoint on the Erie Canal between Buffalo and Rochester. Can you tell me about the bee vomit, which is the one that I tried earlier? So what, what's that one? Sure, bee vomit is made very much like a beer. It gets boiled. Um, we add hops uh, throughout the boil, uh, cascade in the boil and then in uh, secondary we dry hop it with um, nugget and simcoe very cool um uh so do you have like a, a bestseller of all of your meads or um something that people like a lot sure uh liquid sunshine is our bestseller it's carbonated uh nine percent alcohol lemonade uh it's lemons lavender green tea and florida wildflower honey very cool all right i am gonna try that now It is really good, and that's that's why it's a bestseller. It's like sweet, and it tastes. It really does taste like lemonade. It's really, really good. Um, so, all, are all of your meads carbonated, or do you have like still meads? So, about a third of our meads are carbonated, and then um, most of the rest are still. Uh, about a third are still meads, and then the rest are kind of one-offs or barrel-aged products or things like that. Do you find that um, people like the still meads better or like the carbonated meads better? Does it like depend if they've had mead before? Or, uh, what do you find? So uh, it depends on where they're coming from. If they're coming from the beer realm, they're they're probably going to stick more with the carbonated stuff. Wine drinkers are going to go for the still meads. And if people who come in who have had mead before, they tend to go towards more of the uh, still products also. Uh, do you have a favorite of your still me- uh, still meads? Sure. My favorite is the two beans walk into a barrel, which is uh, one off of one of our, our meads, 21 Bean Salute, which is made with um, coffee, vanilla beans, clover honey, and buckwheat honey. So buckwheat honey is my favorite, uh, so I'm going to try that one. It's really good. So do you come up with, like, how do you come up with inspiration or ideas for your meads? So I really will take inspiration um, from anywhere. Like this Crown the Elders came out of uh, this one day early when we had first opened where I, I actually had six different people ask for an elderberry mead. So I was like, all right, well, I guess we'll order some elderberries and make some elderberry mead. And uh, that came out good then? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been good. This this match is very good. Um, and I, I recently had a similar situation. We we had made it um, the first year we were open, and then uh, hadn't made it since. And and back in the summertime, I had a guy come in, and he's like, "Man, if you had that today, I'd have bought two cases." And I was like, well, "That's a nice sale <laughs> that I really missed out on." So. Um, you know, my, my wife, she worked to find some elderberries for us and, and get that made, and, um, and it is delicious. Uh, so where do you source your honeys, and what kind of honey do you generally use? So most of the honey that we buy is from uh, local beekeepers uh, in our area, and um, we work with several of them. And uh, then we also buy some of our honey from uh, Dutch Gold, which is a, a large honey supplier in the East Coast. Cool. Uh, do you find that the name bee vomit throws people off, or are they like it seems today that everyone is like, oh, I want to try that bee vomit. It it, it tends to be um, how old they are. If they're um, you know over sixty, they normally don't like that name. If they're under forty, they think it's great. Oh, that's pretty great. Well, thank you so much. Um, and how are you enjoying the festival so far? Oh, it's great. I'm glad to be here. That's not bad. What do you think of the bee vomit? You know, it's not bad. It's got an interesting um, kick to it. I like the carbonation. Yeah. I think the carbonation is pretty good. Yeah. Definitely doesn't taste like vomit. <laughs> well, I got the bundle of bark, actually. What do you yeah. think of it? I really liked it. It's almost, uh, there was like a little savoriness to it. And uh, all the flavors were really fragrant. I thought it was good. So which one are you trying? This is very tasty. Tasty. It's sweet. It's good. Which one are you trying? This is the no, the Tuco style. Sorry. What is it? Oh yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, so, what is uh, what's your name and what meadery are you pouring from? Uh, I am Mark Howdeshell and I work for Bee Nectar Meadery out of Ferndale, Michigan, little Detroit. But... Very cool. Uh, so you have some very interestingly named meads. Um, can I try the zombie killer? Do it. You can do it. Let's see. Can you also tell me a little bit about this zombie killer? Okay. Uh, we actually have our own apiaries and, and, uh, and our, our little orchards that we deal with directly. So our owners actually go out there and interview people and work with them. We've been working with the same people for a long time. So we really have um, it, the bees pollinate the apples. You, you harvest the honey, harvest the apples. It's all good. You, you make the, um, the cider and honey at the... Where is it? Uh, we're in Ferndale, Michigan, right outside of Detroit. So, uh, you know, we have, uh, we have the cider uh, actually shipped into us next day after they press it. So we, we call the guys up at the orchard that we work with, and they make it for us fresh. It comes in in a, in a big, uh, big tanker truck the next day, about 5,000 gallons, and we start fermenting. Yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs> I'm going to be heading that way sometime very soon. Okay, great. So you have a card. Right? I do, I do. There you go. Is that the case? This is apple blossom honey? Okay, so this is the zombie killer. This is our flagship uh, hard apple cider with honey. So it's all Michigan apples, honey, and cherries. Uh, this has been our longest standing uh, draft product that we do. Uh, so it is fermented apples on this one. The honey is the, the sweetener. It's all natural. What kind of honey is it? This is star thistle honey from uh, Sleeping Bear uh, Apiary in, in Michigan. And you guys have your own apiaries at the... These are your apiaries? Or they have bees aside for you or no? no we, we actually we deal with uh, our partners that, that are, have their own apiaries. And they actually will, will have this up for us. We have contracts with them, and that's the way we get all of our honey always when we need it. Okay. Oh, where do you get inspiration for the kinds of interesting like flavors that you have this is there's the necro there's the zombie killer there's the death unicorn and then there's also the dude's rug okay well uh everything has uh basically a culinary experience wrapped around the concept of of certain liquids that we made over the years and then the uh the unique way that we name things is our company is really big time into the pop culture we love movies we like music a lot of our people either play in punk rock or metal bands or have um, and watch constantly watch movies. Uh, so Carrie Dahlhofer and Brad Dahlhofer are the owners of our company. Uh, Brad is the original maker that makes everything, a lot of the concepts for all of the recipes. And then his wife Carrie is the one that does all of our branding. You see our logos, the stories, and we all sit around together and we work out these sheets that tell you everything about our products. So it's pretty cool um, the way everything works. I've been a fan since 2011 myself. 
uh, and I've been a part of the family now since uh, 2015. Very cool. Um, are all of your meads carbonated? No, not all of our meads are carbonated. We actually have a very, a very nice little still lineup that we do. Uh, they're typically in 375 milliliter bottles. And in the past, we used to do a lot of 750s, which this year is our 10th anniversary. And we re-released our Wildberry Pine Mint in a 750 bottle, which is really cool. The labels are awesome. Carrie killed it. So we're stoked to, to be able to reissue that back out. Um, so uh, we do uh, our still meads that come in draft as well, and we, we push those on nitro. So we call them nitro meads. Um, and then these other ones are CO2 driven, and they're basically, we call them draft meads, session meads, session ciders, a little lower ABV. That's so interesting that you do your uh, still meads uh, draft with nitro, because that's the kind of a like steel, but still kind of has that carbonated feel to it. So that's very interesting. Um, yeah. So how did how did you particularly get into mead? Um, did you start with this company and then started making mead, or have you made mead before it? Uh, the the way I got into this, I was actually working for a Long Island brewery, and I was in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I used to work for Blue Point. So uh, yeah. So I, I was thanks, guys. So I was working down there at the festival, and I was walking into the. Uh, into the setup table with like kegs and stuff and I look to the left and I see this guy sitting there with this crazy uh, banner that says Detroit's Premier Meadery and I kind of looked at him like he was crazy and he called me out and he's like oh man what's up and so I was like yeah you know what the hell is me and he's like man you know it's, it's pretty different you know and blah blah I'm like alright well uh, you know what's the deal he's like well I'll come find you I'll let you try my stuff and he came by I tried the zombie killer. I tried the, uh, I think it was the, uh, the kill of the golfers and Necro, and this pretty much changed my life and my concept. So since 2011, I've been basically drinking meads and ciders and uh, just really getting into it. And over the years, he's just been coming by the house and staying at the house. And when I left my last job, he decided to hire me. And, and here we are. Pretty awesome. How are you enjoying the festival so far? This is uh, pretty cool. I've never been a part of something like a fermentation festival before. Uh, so I like the unique uh, change up here with the kombuchas here and different people are doing like the science stuff around me. Because, you know, fermentation science is not an accident. You know, obviously it, it occurs naturally in some ways, but you can actually, uh, you know, make it, make it better by doing the right stuff. So we actually have two microbiologists that work for, for Bean Nectar. We have a guy uh, named uh, Kirk, and he works inside of our lab. And then we have Renee. Renee came to us from Griffin Claw Brewery out of Michigan, and she is heading up our Brett program, our Funk Lab. So we're actually doing uh, Brett fermented ciders, sizers, and meads that we've been working on about the last year. Awesome. Oh, I can't. I'm looking forward to those. They're going to have fun names, too, I bet. Uh, this is the Tuco style freakout, and it is an image of it looks like a giant aloe plant. Oh, agave. That makes more sense. Oh, is there agave in this? Okay. So this uh, this one is going to be Mexican Orbs Blossom Honey. It's agave nectar, lime juice, and lime zest. Comes in at a whopping 6.5%. Uh, and it's going to have a nice little, little bit of margarita and a little bit of key lime pie notes. Yeah. I do not like tequila, but this is really good. Um, it doesn't taste quite the same. Um, it's really sweet, and it's like... There's, yeah, I got that lime taste on the palate, which is really good. Uh, can I try the the necro? Is the one that like people seem to be really into. Let's get you a rinse here. <laughs> I love that you're cleaning out the the cups with like one of the water bottles with a hole poked in the top. Because um, people were asking about that, and I was like, I don't really know. People don't generally clean out their stuff. It's a little life hack, you know. Uh, I learned this at a festival not long ago, probably about five years ago. A guy was poking holes in his water bottle, and instead of like wasting jugs of water all day, he was using like basically like one bottle of water and was cleaning glasses all day. It just really gets gets you to change up with a clean glass. You can taste the right profiles because everything we do is different. Uh, our meads don't taste the same. Our ciders don't taste the same. They all have different, unique honeys or apples and fruits. That is very fruity. I was not expecting that. Mango. It says mango. Should have expected mango. It's real good. Uh, uh, Necro or Necro Mango Con is going to be a mead that's made with Mexican orange blossom honey. It is mango juice, fresh cracked black pepper, and we use a Saison yeast strain to ferment this guy. So when you uh, first get it, you're going to get a lot of creaminess from the honey and the nose. Uh, you're going to get that nice little stone fruit, which kind of bleeds into mango with your second sip. 
after you have that on there for a little bit, you're going to start getting a little bit of black pepper on the back of your palate, and eventually you'll start getting white pepper notes off of that saison yeast strain. Usually about three to four ounces into that, you'll get all that. It's really good. What did you poke that with? Do you have a knife on you? What did you poke the hole in that thumb with? Okay. I wish I would have had a knife. Just in case. Just in case people, like, ask. I'm sure they're going to ask about it. Thank you so much. You want to try the dude's rug? Yes, sure. And you can have a sneak peek on the death unicorn, Yes, death unicorn. Absolutely. God, I love that. I, I've never... I usually at homebrew competitions they like just give you a glass and just nobody washes it out and like that's a brilliant idea like a tiny bit of water and these like little things I'm getting cinnamon on the nose immediately so the dude's rug you know the Big Lebowski is uh, going to be ten, uh, 20 years this, uh, this year uh, this is going to be a hard apple cider with uh, chai tea his best friends from when he was in high school so you're going to get all that cardamom, clove, nutmeg, ginger, vanilla. It's just all going to come together. Just like the rug, how I really tied the room together. Our drink just tied the room together. I was expecting, like, milk and rum, but no. Oh, actually, I don't know what's in a white Russian. It's milk and... Vodka. Yeah, and, uh, and the half and half, right? Yeah. Gross. Death Unicorn. I am loving the name Death Unicorn. Also, I love the bizarre photo of like a unicorn, like death in it with a unicorn head. It's just very. With the skull in the background, it looks like the moon as well. <laughs> so weird. Uh, you ever uh, Black Sabbath? Yeah. War Pigs? Yes. You should read that after I give it to you. This is what it says, which is gathered in makers gathered in their masses, just like brewers at Black Masses. Clever minds don't plot destruction. Sorcerer of cider's construction. In the tank, the cider's turning. As be nectar keeps on turning. Black current cider for mankind, enlivening their thirsty minds. There you go. There you go. Brilliant. This guy, Michigan hard apple cider. Once oh again, my god, this is so drink. good. So big, fruity, juicy, uh, thin tart, and yeah. it dries up. So, I don't know if you heard me before, but I'll say it again. I didn't. All right, so this is Michigan Apples. It's got black currant in it. So it's just going to be big, fruity, juicy, then tart, and then dry. And the color. The color is beautiful, nice little like reddish hue there, and uh, 6%. Cheers. It's nice. Very nice. This is gorgeous and delicious, and I'm going to drink this while listening to Black Sabbath and also Kick's cover of War Pigs, <laughs> which is weird. All right, hello. I'm here at the Coastal Kombucha, Coastal Craft Kombucha booth at the New York Fermentation Festival. Hello. Uh, can you tell me what your name is and where are you from? Sure. Uh, my name is Rachel Rappo. We're from Long Island. We're in Oceanside in Nassau County. Oh, I'm from. I'm also from Nassau County. Awesome. I'm from Woodmere, but let's not talk about that. Uh, let's talk about this kombucha. So, um, first of all, how uh, do you, you guys sell in bottles? It looks like. Yes, we sell in bottles, and we also sell on draft. So you can find us retail-wise uh, in bottles as well as on draft. We do growlers. We kind of treat it like a beer brewery and do refills and all that. Really cool. All right, so uh, can I try the vanilla spice that was so very uh, touted about? And can you tell me a little bit about how this was made, like inspiration, how you guys started? Sure. Um, so I'm just a huge fan of vanilla flavor. We wanted to start doing uh, new fun stuff. Uh, we always want to play around with flavors. We have our staple line, and then we do limited release and seasonal things that allow us to keep things new and interesting and fun and keep people on their toes. So the vanilla spice is a blend of vanilla, star anise, and cardamom. So cardamom is a huge, just I'm a huge fan of cardamom. I love the sweet spice flavor profile. Is also that pepperiness that goes in there as well. So it's a really nice blend. Uh, the star anise definitely isn't something that comes out too strong and just gets balanced by the vanilla, giving that kind of creamy finish. Very cool. Yeah, this is so different. Usually kombuchas are like, oh, we're so healthy. We're going to make beet and turmeric flavors, which I like don't have a problem with. But like this is so different and it's super creamy. And like I could actually drink this like all day. This is really good. That's almost like in a sense, if you want to say an alternative to like a soda flavor profile to some degree with that vanilla and the star anise um, kind of giving almost like that cream soda like flavor profile. Um, and really, first and foremost, with our kombucha, we want people to be drinking it because they enjoy it, you know, 
grabbing it like the way they would grab a craft beer over a Budweiser and enjoying it first and foremost and then obviously reaping the health benefits as well. So we play around with flavors all the time to keep it really interesting and enjoyable. Now, I'm always curious about uh, commercial kombucha places, about, like, how you handle your scobies. Um, so do you guys, like, just put in kind of a starter, or, like, do you have, like, a massive mother hanging out? We do a little bit of both. Obviously, the starter is really that key element. Um, it sets the fermentation process, gets everything going, makes sure all your pH levels are in check so that everything is safe in the ferment. And then the culture is obviously there as well, the scoby, and it definitely grows big and large and huge. Um with scobies they just grow as large as the tank that you're brewing in so that could be anywhere from you know a small gallon jar to an almost three foot wide container and they just thicken over time so do you have a three foot wide scoby um yeah we do have about some that are about three feet wide a little bit less than that yeah so that's they amazing what are you gonna do with it um actually really interesting uh, we just started working with someone from pratt who is doing a project on um sustainable material packaging Yes. Okay. Actually, this is a guy. Yeah, his name is Garrett uh, Benish, I believe is his name. And um, he actually just did post on his Instagram some, some of the work so far. And he seems to be having some success. And seems like there's going to be some really interesting things that come from that. That's amazing. We talked to somebody who was into, like, seeing if uh, SCOBY can be used as a sustainable clothing. Yes. Um, it turns out it doesn't work because when it rains, you're super screwed. But, like, it was so fascinating. It's basically like leather. Yeah, exactly. Same, same story here. And what he's actually finding is if he treats it with some oils that it helps resist some of that moisture so like the the raining thing you know so that there is something not so porous after in the process so yeah i'm waiting to see i'm really curious to see where he ends up with the project that is amazing so how are you enjoying the festival so far Awesome, awesome. Great feedback from everybody, and everyone's really enjoying it. We find that our kombucha really finds itself right along in the middle where we have the tartness, but we also have that really enjoyable, flavorful, and palatable side. So everybody's really enjoying it. It's going great. Actually, can I get your reaction to this kombucha? Which one are you drinking? Uh, this one's the vanilla spice. All right. How do yeah. you like it? It's really good. It has its sarnies. Um, and cardamom. It's really good. Yeah, it has nice, like, subtle hints, but it's really good. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. Festival. I'm at the Wartega uh, table, but I actually have the folks from uh, Island to Island here. Hey guys. Hey, how you doing? So we did a collaboration with uh, Wartega. It's called Trade Roots Number Two. It's our second edition, and what we have here today is a bready ale with currants in it. It's modeled after the Trinidadian pastry known as currant rolls. I wanted to make something that you know when you eat something and you want that flavor to last, you don't want to wash it away. This is how it can keep lingering on your palate. What do you think? It tastes like I'm eating a pastry, but drinking a pastry. It is amazing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. So when was this made? Uh, we made it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I can't remember the exact date. It was in made in February, though. We wanted to have it released for a firm fest. It has, like, a, this savory, like, bready flavor. Where does that come from? It comes from the victory malt that we use, which is, like, a biscuit-type malt. Yeah. And when it's so good. Flaky. And when it's, yeah, flaky like a pastry. So that's what, what we're going for. It's pretty great. Like, so I can only get this at Wartega right now? <laughs> Say again? No, you can get it Island Island also. Yeah. <laughs> come by this Saturday. We're doing IPA and Jerk Fest. So it's like a pepper pairing event where you get to like pair your IPAs with spicy foods, whether it be jerk or Trinidadian pepper sauce. It's going to be a lot of fun. That sounds pretty great. And what are you guys pouring at? Um, do you guys have a station here? 
Yeah, we have our Brooklyn Jun Brew um, over in the corner, and we're pouring the original uh, Jun and our ginger one, and we're also selling bottles of the soursop and pineapple. Very cool. Yeah. How are you enjoying the festival so far? I've been working two tables, so I haven't been able to get around yet. But um, because I did the social media, I've like been mouth-watering ahead of time. So I'm looking forward to my break to go and start digging in. I'm here with Descendant Slider. Can you tell me who you are and where you're from? Uh, my name is Scott Rubel. I'm representing Descendant Slider for Jahil Maplestone and Alex Fish, uh, Alexandria. And um, I'm pouring Succession right now. You're trying a little bit of Succession? Okay. There, it's a small pour. So, There's so much to drink here, though. There is a lot to drink here. So these, the succession is made with apples from upstate New York that are pressed, and the juice is brought back to Queens, and it's fermented there, and it's fermented dry, and then a little extra cider is put, fresh cider is put on at the end to balance the acidity. So you're getting a, a semi-dry cider at 5.5%. Later on, we'll be pouring a dry hop version of that, which is made with slightly different apples and use three different kinds of hops. So it's got a nice little tropical note to it. So come by, come back later. We're also selling these, okay, at uh, $5 for the succession and $4 for the dry hops. Uh, so is it like a, a blend of different kinds of apples? It's a blend of different kinds of apples. Yes, they are. Can you name some of that? <laughs> I know. Northern Spire and a few others. Yes. Enjoying the festival so far? It's amazing. This is the second time I'm here. I was here as a home brewer at the beginning. Now I'm here pouring for Descendant, and I'm really enjoying working with Descendant Cider. So I'm at the New York City Fermentation Festival. I'm trying a fermented uh, coffee. I have a lot of questions about that. So I'm just gonna drink it. It's called cultured coffee. I'm gonna try it. I definitely need coffee at this point of the day. I've been here for like three hours. Uh, <laughs> I drank all of my coffee already. It tastes like a normal cold brew. It's really good coffee, though. So my name is Camille Dolebec. Um, I'm French originally. I'm an, uh, an agronomist by training. Then I turned um, a biotechnologist, I guess. I did a PhD in microbiology, where, yeah, where I really discovered the wonderful world of microbes. Um, and I founded Affiner, which is the mothership behind It Cultured, like kind of the fermentation lab, um, about three years ago. Um, and It Cultured is our consumer brand um, with our first product, which is uh, cultured coffee. So the whole mission um, for Affiner and It Cultured is to kind of, kind of like extend the reach of traditional food fermentation. We are bringing like really crazy science into fermentation so both on the screening side to choose really interesting natural microbes that can do specific things for different types of food products be it on the flavor side um, or more so and more often on the nutritional profile so you know uh, improving the digestibility of proteins um, improving the um, the quality of the amino acids um, reducing the irritants so actually for, for coffee what we really worked on um, was um, uh, the fact that a lot of people about 15% of people can't really digest coffee and really no one has really looked into it people knew that natural fermentation were interesting for coffee because um, it's used at the farm level as a way to remove the pulp around the coffee bean and, and you know sometimes it brings a really interesting flavor profile and sometimes less so because it's kind of like just left to chance, right? It's whatever small micro is going to be on the skin of the fruit is going to do the fermentation. So what we did here is we are doing a secondary fermentation on the green coffee beans here in our, in our facility, in our innovation lab in, in, in Harlem. Um, and we selected special microbes that are able to enzymatically reduce and um, reduce the concentration of these irritants. We worked on the flavor precursors to all the bitter um, notes all the bitter flavor that usually develop during um, the mad reactions, like the, those caramelization reactions that happen during during roasting, um, to really kind of like bring another creative tool to the coffee world um, and, and and venture into this health healthier um, coffee side of the things. So coffee is really our first uh, product. We're working on a lot of other things. Uh, one of the big projects that I can you know, disclose, and you'll be on the scoop, you know, because it's, it's free new that we're starting to talk about it. Um, but we're 
we're really interested in like uh, sustainability. And so the big mission of the company is, you know, how are you going to be able to uh, make more sustainable food products? And I think, you know, there's two things that needs to happen. Uh, we, as, uh, you know, the Western world, need to eat more of a plant-based food diet. And I think fermentation is really interesting here because they can improve the nutritional profile of those plant-based foods and the flavor as well. And the other thing that we really need to do and to work on is to reduce the amount of waste that we generate. Yeah, so it's so important. So on the waste side, we've decided to partner with breweries and we are working on spent grain. Yes, and yes, spent what are we going to do with that? Spent grain is so interesting because it's it's just gold. Like the breweries only use the soluble sugars in, in malt, um, and so what you're left with is like really interesting fibers, really interesting proteins, and so we use our fermentation technology as a way to actually recover um, those proteins um, to unlock the proteins from from the spent grain to improve the amino acid profile and to make for a really interesting, you know, sustainable plant-based protein. Um, yeah. Gonna, so your goal is to make sustainable proteins out of this spent wort. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, so it's going to be um, a protein powder, really, that, that you know, is plant-based, like a complete, has a complete amino acid profile, has a really clean, neutral taste, so not soupy like pea or something, um, that can be used, you know, with smoothies and, and other types of, like, food applications, yeah. I was going to ask if you were taking cues from, like, the Impossible Burger or the Beyond Meat Burger, which are both plant-based, like, burger substitutes. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, uh, we as a, as a community, the fermentation and biotechnology community, have, I think, a big responsibility to think about better, more sustainable food products. And, and those companies do innovate a lot in this space. So we're not trying to imitate meat at all. Um, uh, yeah, but, but, you know, I think, like, interesting new um, plant-based proteins is, is really cool. Yeah. What kind of a roast is the coffee? I know this is a dumb question after all, like, the science stuff we just went through, but, like, what kind of a roast is the coffee? Is it, like... Uh, it's a fairly light roast, yeah. Uh, we like... It means more caffeine. It means more, like, greener notes, you know, all these veggie-ish notes. Um, yeah, which we, which we really like, you know. It, it really complements the product, um, yeah. I'm a big fan of, like, good coffees, and this is a really good coffee. And I don't like cold brew, so, like, this is good. This is very good. Um, so where do you guys source your coffee from? Yeah, East Africa right now. We work with a small woman-owned cooperative, um, and, 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 yeah, you know, sustainable, high-quality, fair-trade coffee. Organic, actually, as well. Uh, yeah. All right. So we're with Pilot Kombucha. Is that right? Uh, and I'm trying a mango sticky rice kombucha. Can you say your name and where you're from? I'm Alex. I'm from Brooklyn. This is my company. This is ridiculous. This is amazing. Where do you get your flavor inspirations from? Um, I get my flavor inspiration from everywhere. So the mango sticky rice, that's one of my favorite desserts. They have it at a Thai restaurant near our warehouse, so I really liked it, and I wanted to try and turn it into a kombucha, obviously. And then the hibiscus palo santo, I probably got inspired by that one through our yoga practice. You know, I really love palo santo. You see it in a lot of perfumes and, you know, incense bundles and stuff, so I started researching whether or not you could add it to beer or kombucha, and the good news is you can. It comes out really nice. And then the matcha moringa, we've had requests, fan requests for a green one. Can I ask for your reaction about like how it tastes? Oh, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Which one are you trying? The matcha one. Matcha? like it good <laughs> oh man how did you get started in making kombucha um i was a chef in manhattan and having a lot of stomach issues and hangovers so I was drinking pretty heavily i was in my early 20s and somebody recommended kombucha as a hangover cure and because i work in kitchens it wasn't too long before I was making my own and my head chef told me what are you doing in my kitchen you need to get out and sell this stuff do you usually drink a lot of kombucha yeah. and how does this compare to like the stuff you usually drink it's not as strong vinegary taste but then the flavor is different because you don't see these flavors 
How are you enjoying the festival so far? Great. I'm very cold. I'm at the old pickle station. Can you tell me uh, who you are and where you're from? Uh, we're based out of Greenfield, Massachusetts. Uh, we're a 100% organic, naturally fermented, and raw business. Uh, we get all of our vegetables from western Massachusetts and southern Vermont currently, and we only source within the northeast. We only sell within the northeast. Your name is Greg, it says on your coat. Yeah, my name is Greg. <laughs> And I'm a worker-owner. We're a worker-owned cooperative. Um, so about half of us are owners at the factory, and everybody has a chance to buy in. And, uh, you know, we have a, we really value uh, having uh, group decisions on everything and trying to be uh, supportive of the local economy and the environment. That's fantastic. How did you guys get started? So you have a ton of different kinds of ferments here. Um, there's krauts. There's a kimchi, which is similar to a kraut. You got yourself some hot peppers and just some, like, quick pickles. So um, how did you get started, and what was, like, your first product? So Dan, uh, who started our uh, company, started off with dill pickles, and he was uh, friends with a lot of farmers and wanted to be able to support those farmers in uh, extending their food season and just uh, valuing local food as part of an environmental mission and also just uh, to be able to support these farmers and have it year-round. And then we expanded into other products as it was kind of a natural fit to kind of use those products. those products throughout the year and then uh you know about five years ago we transitioned to a cooperative we have a whole uh large-scale factory um and uh you know we've upgraded it to over 20 employees and uh we're shipping quite a lot all over the northeast now so what was like the first thing that you guys started selling yeah dill pickles definitely were the first and then uh those uh unfortunately because of the um, the growing season and the uh, availability of cucumbers and how they keep and everything, we kind of run out for part of the year. Um, so in order to have uh, products all year round, we have uh, sauerkrauts and kimchis and things like that that we're offering as well. Very cool. Um, so you have a whole bunch of different kinds of krauts here. Um, where did you like get ideas for that or like inspiration? Well, like our traditional kraut just has a, a caraway and dill seed, so that's a very straightforward one, just like an obvious place to start. Um, and then garlic, we use our local organic garlic that we can get, um, so that's a, like a really great, easy recipe. It's kind of hard to pull off correctly, but like the flavors are just like very useful for almost like all sorts of dishes. Most cuisines use garlic. Um, the turmeric kraut was a very new, exciting one. We work with a farm in uh, Amherst, Massachusetts called Old Friends Farm, which has kind of pioneered growing ginger and turmeric uh, in the Northeast, which are not really usually able to be grown in that uh, environment. So they've kind of figured out how to do it using greenhouses and various other things in order to be able to grow. Um, and so we actually can say that we have local ginger, local turmeric in our products. And yeah, and uh, we use the local hot peppers. So our kimchi is a little different than uh, using like a Korean hot pepper. It doesn't have quite the smoky flavor. It's a habanero and a cayenne. Um, so it ends up being like a little different than a lot of the, the kimchis that you get, but it still has that kind of essential fermented umami sort of a thing. And it's a vegan product as well. So. Yeah, I've actually had a discussion with other like fermenters who you make kimchi. Is that like um, she's having problems being certified organic because you can only get like the gochujang peppers from like non-organic farms in Korea. Uh, so that's just like a very interesting like workaround for organic farmers. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've actually just learned that there is now one farm in Korea that is making organic chili flakes uh, that, and we haven't gotten a hold of any of them yet. I've just seen them for sale for the first time, so I'm kind of excited that there will be some possibilities uh, for some organic traditional kimchi. Um, obviously, like because of our local focus, we're probably going to stick with what we have going on, but there's always more room for organic, and we really feel like that's a very important part of our mission. That's really cool. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the hot sauces? Because I know Kuzme is super into hot sauce, and he probably wants to talk about that, but he's busy running the festival. So tell me a little bit about like how you make the hot sauce, and like is it also cayenne or the habanero? Oh, uh, so the hot sauces, we have two now. Uh, we just had the tomatillo for a long time, and uh, we had an out-of-stock period for a really long time. Um, so we, we kind of brought it back with a second sauce available. That one has a jalapeno and a cilantro going on. They're a little saltier than a lot of vinegar hot sauces and uh, they're not like super spicy compared to some um, you know it's kind of a being a New England company people have a little bit less of a heat thing they're going for. Um, the red one we use a tomato and we also use um, we use fresh chilies uh, I believe I can't remember exactly 
um, the blend right off the top of my head. I know it has a cayenne component and it has um, a paprika pepper, which gives it the bright color but doesn't add a lot of heat. And so, uh, yeah, so we just expanded to having a separate second line. Um, our green tomatilla sauce is already sold so well that we're kind of out of it already. Um, so we have to make a lot more next year. But uh, we're ch really excited to have it. And, you know, you can, because it's milder, you can dump a lot of it on there and get, like, a lot of flavor, a lot of that pickly flavor, rather than just having it be, like, burning hot, you know? Very northeast. <laughs> Very northeast palate. Um, you also have turnips. Is that right? Pickled turtles? We, we just started doing a small batch line uh, using ingredients that would normally be too expensive to get organically and locally and uh, make a, like, a large quantity of, but we really wanted to like feature some of these like really exciting produce that we got from our farmers that we work with. We like to have really long-term relationships with our farmers and really um, like support them. So uh, hackerai turnip with uh, dulse. Uh, the dulse is a main seaweed and then uh, we use the local ginger in that. So it's a salad turnip. It's got kind of a bite to it like a little bit. Uh, it's got a really nice texture. We did big chunks of it so that you can really get a big bite out of it. And then we also do a shallot and herb kraut which has fresh oregano, cilantro, and parsley. It was kind of inspired by like a chimichurri sort of a thing but then there's also cabbage in it <laughs> um, so that we can use it as a condiment rather than a sauce. Also so it goes really well with meats and uh, things that would uh, fit that kind of flavor profile. And then the spicy carrot escabeche is uh, kind of our take on the classic taqueria side dish. Um, usually uses like a palate cleanser or, uh, you know, a little bit of, it has a jalapeno, it has a cauliflower and carrot and uh, oregano in it. How are you enjoying the festival so far? Oh, it's great. Yeah, we've done the Boston Festival before, and so we were really excited to come down to um, the New York one. Um, and it just seems like there's such good energy around uh, all these products. It's really great to see a lot of, like, really other kimchi producers that are really, uh, you know, fitting the, the market that's down here and uh, just kind of be able to talk to other fermenters and sample everybody's products and see how it's all going because uh, the more of a market we make for these foods, the more market that we're all going to have to sell to. Trying some kraut and kimchi at this fermentation festival. Can you say what your name is and where you're from? Yeah, I'm Danny Minogue and I'm with Hawthorne Valley Farm. Great. So what do you have for us today? So we have our fermented line of sauerkrauts. Uh, they're all raw fermented uh, probiotic. Um, and basically we have three today. We have our turmeric sauerkraut, our caraway sauerkraut, and then our Korean style kimchi. Um, Korean style kimchi. Yeah. Well, uh, kimchi itself is traditionally uh, Korean, um, and it's our take on their style of kimchi. It doesn't look all red with all the gochujang like kimchi usually does. So, like, what kind of spices do you put in it? That's correct. Um, so we have peppers, um, but what really makes it different is that we have we have carrots um, and then a secret blend of herbs and spices, so to speak. Uh, that very proprietary about that. Um, but then our napa cabbage is, is what really makes the kimchi. And you guys, are, where is Hawthorne Valley? Where is that? So uh, Hawthorne Valley is at the tip of the Hudson Valley, just south of Albany. Um, and our new ferments facility is a twenty thousand square foot facility. We opened in August, um, and it's located in Hudson at the bottom of. North Second Street. Wow, so you guys just opened, so um, what what inspired you to start uh, a line of sauerkrauts? Sure, so Hawthorne Valley uh, is actually a biodynamic dairy farm that's been around since 1976, um, and we started our ferments facility on the farm in 1999, and then we just actually moved to a new facility because we had, you know, we sold enough where we, we got to a point where we needed more space, um, and so that's why we just opened that facility. Very cool. Uh, so what, yeah, so like, is this stuff grown on the farm? Um, where is it sourced? So we source everything as locally as possible within 50 miles of the farm. Um, some of the peppers on some of the hot sauces that we also represent um, have to come a little bit farther away because they just don't grow in New York State. Um, but I would say everything other than that is sourced within 50, 50 miles of the farm. Let's try some, uh, what do you recommend? I would start with the turmeric. Um, it's one of my favorites. And then I move to the kimchi and then finish it out with the caraway. I'm a fan of turmeric crowd. Let's try this. <laughs> All right. So um, this is made with, uh, like, green cabbage? Correct. Um, so it's, it's made with green cabbage, uh, and then we have some cumin in there, and it's fresh ground turmeric. It's not turmeric powder. Um, so it's the actual root, and you can see the orange specks in there. It's great for joint inflammation, joint pain. Um, it's also just a, a great product to have. Um, how long do you typically ferment these things for? 
Sure. So the fermentation process starts um, right after we mix everything. Um, that's when we add all the salt and water. We let it sit for at least six weeks. Um, generally around eight weeks is what we set for. Um, and then we check the pH level. Anywhere around a 3.4 is perfect. Um, and then once we hit that level, we package it up and refrigerate it so the fermentation process stops. Wow, I feel really lazy. I like ferment mine for like a week and a half. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be very tangy. I'm very excited. (laughs) Putting down this mic. So I eat a lot of turmeric root. I've never had it with cumin, actually. And it's just like, I love cumin. It's just so good. Like, turmeric root is like a thing that, like, sauerkraut companies make a lot. What made you decide to add cumin? Uh, you know, that's our operation manager. He's been messing with the recipe since he took over in the in the early 2000s. Um, and it's something that he's just kind of worked on, and he found a level where he thought it enhanced the flavor and didn't cover up the turmeric at all. But a lot of people thought the turmeric was a little too forward before, um, so we're just trying to find that correct balance that makes everybody happy. It's real good. All right. Thank you so much. How are you enjoying the festival so far? Oh, it's awesome. I, I love beer. I love fermented everything. So, I mean, this is the place for me. Do you have a favorite vendor that isn't you? I love Strong Rope Brewery. Uh, I love everything he does. Jason Jason is amazing. Uh, I've toured his facility, and he's just so cool. Um, so I would have to give it to Strong Rope. All right, guys. So we're at the Fermentation Festival with Brooklyn Brian, a.k.a. used to be Pickle Shack back in the day. Um, so what do we have today that you guys are, are having? Uh, today we are serving our uh, OG sauerkraut, our spicy daikon, a curried rutabaga, and a beet and cauliflower mix. What do you recommend? I recommend starting with the beet and cauliflower and kind of moving your way towards the uh, spicy daikon to finish with. Now we were talking before I started recording about this, um, what's this? Oh, the curried rutabaga? Yeah, so everyone's like, it looks like cantaloupe, it looks like butternut squash. What other things have we been hearing about it? Yeah, I've heard it compared to mango. Um, hopefully it doesn't look like Homer Simpson's fingers cut off in a woodshop accident. I don't know. Um, it's not yellow. <laughs> it, it picked up a good curry fl- uh, color on it, for sure. All right, I'm going to try some of this stuff. What have you guys been up to lately? You have a new cafe, is that right? Yeah, so we opened, uh, we took our restaurant offline in 2016 and kind of rejiggered it as a cafe uh, summer of 2017. Um, Just, you know, trying to keep up exporting into Australia. uh, Pretty busy over there. But the cafe has been a really great kind of small batch kind of testing area uh, and also access to the market. Um, so these are all new kinds of things that you guys have been working on? Yeah, this is really just an array of what we're capable of doing on any given week. So nothing that we're serving today is promised to be served next week. It really depends on uh, what's in season and kind of the whim of the pickle maker or chef that uh, is attending to it. But it's kind of the great luxury of having your own pickle factory and cafe and kind of play with whatever you feel like you know playing with. What are your favorite kinds of things that you guys have been making lately? Um, well, out of the Brooklyn brine side, I would say our brine-infused condiments. Those have really been uh, probably prominently featured in my refrigerator. Uh, and then on the, the cafe side, I mean, again, it changes like on any given day. They have one or two new things that they're rolling out. So that's more of just been a fan favorite of poking my head into the cafe and seeing what's being served that day. Very cool. Oh. Huh. What other um, things are you guys making? Aside from the pickles. Oh, our... Com- I mean, you said the, the condiments, yeah. Yeah, uh, our kombuchas. Um, so we've been really building uh, a, a loyal market out of um, our cafe right now, and we're looking at potentially expanding that into possibly bottling that at some point, um, you know, for the retail market. But our kombuchas have really... The focus has been on the blend of the teas and less on the adjunct ingredients that are going into it. So it's been a really fun kind of, you know, uh, finding out what the medicinal qualities are by combining different teas or just experimenting with flavors on their own um, based on, you know, just messing with the teas. Uh, So that's been really great. So that's the kind of thing we can be looking forward to from Brooklyn Brine? I'm saying that the condiments right now are killing it the most from Brooklyn Brine. Okay, well, thank you so much. How are you enjoying the festival so far? Oh, I love it. It's our second year doing it. I think it's a really great opportunity to, you know, connect with the community of Furman and uh, pickle enthusiasts. What's your favorite vendor aside from yourselves? 
Uh, I have a profound respect for real pickles. And they're kind of, you know, they were ahead of the market before I started Brooklyn Brine, and um, they're just doing it in such a sticking to their true north fashion. I have a lot of respect for that. So, first of all, we've wanted to talk about Nato on the podcast for like as long as this existed. And so, this is uh, we're at the fermentation festival. Can you tell me your name and what and where you're from, what company you're with? Sure. I'm uh, Zach Perlman. I'm a co-founder, along with my wife, Anya Natani, of Nurture New York Natto. Very cool. So what can you tell me about uh, Natto, a.k.a. Snato? Um, it's not a very popular thing in America, uh, but yeah, uh, it's a very slimy bean ferment. So what, what's your goal in, in uh, making Natto for the masses in New York? Well, we actually think that even though it's not a thing in the U.S. yet, it's going to be. It's something that's uh, much more versatile than I think even the Japanese realize. The health benefits are amazing. And I'm not going to say I'm going to push back on the way you characterized it. You know, we have some posts on our Instagram where uh, we call it Klingon food. Or, you know, sometimes we've thought that it kind of looks like the eggs and aliens. So, it's, you know, it's all there. But, but if you get past that and you, you know, if you're into fermented food, there is nothing else like this. It's an alkaline ferment in contrast to just about any of the other, you know, ferments you can get in this room today. It is delicious in a way that is different from anything else you can get today. It's got some umami flavors, coffee flavors uh, that, yeah, we just think are amazing. Yeah, let us, as soon as we're done with this, we'll give you some. Yeah, please. I've never had natto before, but I've wanted to. So this is going to be my first trying of natto. So can you tell me a little bit about the two nattos that you're sampling today? Sure. We're actually sampling four nattos today. So, you know, what you'll see in front of you, for those of you on the podcast, what she sees in front of her are our traditional natto, which we're sampling in a way that's pretty close to the standard way Japanese eat it. We've added some tamari. And it's made, oh, sure. All of our natto just has two ingredients, soybeans and then the Bacillus subtilis spores, which then grow up and uh, make a really nice, healthy biofilm all around it. We have one kind of natto today that has a little more than that, and I'll get the, to that in a second. So we have our traditional natto, soybeans plus spores. We have a black natto, which is black soybeans plus spores. We have an organic natto, which is organic soybeans, just produces a different flavor. And we have a turmeric natto, where we've taken that organic soybeans, we've uh, fermented it up, gotten a nice, rich biofilm, and then we add some organic turmeric, some organic black peppercorn, and it's part of our agenda to prove that this is just something kind of amazing and versatile. We're bottling that, and it tastes delicious, we think. How did you get interested in, in natto? What's the first time you had natto? Well, the first time I had natto was uh, in Japan with my wife, who, oh, she does this so much better than I do. Um, so she is actually a uh, microbiologist by training. She's a professor at the New School in the Food Studies Department. And we were in Japan, and she kind of got it in her head that, wait, you can't get this in the U.S. yet. Or rather, you can, but all you can get is mass-produced. It's been frozen on the way over from Japan. It just doesn't taste good. And so she got kind of excited, and so she visited a number of natto makers, spent some extended time with a very old natto maker in Tokyo, and figured out how to come back and start doing it here. Uh, we've recently expanded a fair bit because we were totally surprised to discover there's actually a market for this. There are people who like it. There are people who have heard of it and people who haven't yet, but want it. Yeah, I've talked to a bunch of people who, like, have visited Japan or, like, have tried natto in Japan and are like... Why don't we have this here? There's the, the stuff that we have here is so bad because it's like you know Thank it's you. frozen. So yeah, this is really exciting. I'm excited to try some. So what are the ones that you guys have here? Right. Okay. So um, we've got the original natto where we've just got as I think I was saying some tamari, some scallions, and we're just serving it on rice crackers. It's sort of an approximation of the traditional Japanese way to eat it. And then we're doing something kind of radical with the black natto. So the black natto gives a milder ferment. And we think we taste some light, smoky, tobacco-y, chocolatey accents in it. So Anne had this idea, well, what if we try making it as a parfait? And we think it works. So we've actually taken that one, and if it weren't stringy and sticky enough, we've added some honey. And then we're serving it with some coconut yogurt and a blueberry. And, yeah, we think it's kind of amazing that way. It's a way that nobody does it in Japan, although they're starting to. She's actually been... Very Americanized to make it full of sugar. Well, the sugar, yes. Um, but, you know, we, we try to keep the honey relatively light. Um, but, yeah, we think it works. 
And then the two other things we're doing is we're just serving straight the organic and the turmeric. And again, uh, the turmeric, if you haven't had it this way, we think it's a revelation. And it's so good for you. Very, very exciting. All right, I'm going to try some of this stuff. Oh, man. Have you had natto before? No, this is my first time trying it. And you're having the sweet one? Yes, after I All had right. the, the savory one. Can I ask you uh, for a podcast is. how it is? Yeah. There's like strings coming out. <laughs> it's a little so bizarre. Because there's like strings coming out, but it's kind of like a, a yogurt parfait. Is it? <laughs> this one, yeah. 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 How does it taste? Do you like it? The this like sweet one, yeah, that one's actually really good. It's like mild. Yeah, it's actually milder than than regular beans. It's really good. All right, I'm gonna try this black soybean. I've never had natto before. It's gonna be fun. It's really good. Once you get over the the stringiness of it, it's really good. How are you gonna do that facial expression on the podcast? It's actually way milder than I was expecting. And with the blueberry finish, it's really palatable. <laughs> That's a weird way of saying it, but it's real good. Okay, now I'm going to try the traditional natto. It smells terrible, but um, it's going to be delicious, I expect. Okay, it doesn't smell terrible. It smells fermented. What do you think of, like, sticky cheese? Yeah, okay. That's true. It smells like blue cheese. Again, it's way milder than I'm expecting. Oh, it's really good. It's really good. I mostly taste the tamari and the soy cracker, but they're really good. It's, like, really good. Do you want to try some straight? I would love to try some straight. All right. Well, or would you like to try some of the turmeric? I would like to try the, the turmeric straight. Turmeric out of the jar, and then I will show you, will show you the bulk. Actually, let's do this because it's kind of fun. You're going to have to describe what you're seeing here. That's going to be interesting. So we're going to pull... So basically the... the the nachos that they brought are um, in these big Tupperwares with a like cling wrap, or I guess it's press and seal on top of it. Um, and as you pull away the press and seal, it's just full of strings. It has a big M on it. Well, that's because we uh, we like to track every batch that we make with precision. Because what you find is, you know, I mean, as you know, ferments are can be finicky. We have found that we, you know, depending on where in our incubator we put things, we get different we get different properties, we get different incubation times and then curing times that we need. So we're actually tracking every batch we make. We're subdividing into, you know, 20 different sub-batches and then actually kind of hand curing. We'll see whether we can actually scale this up, but... Listeners, I still have strings coming from my face. All right. This is the turmeric, and I'm trying straight. Oh, my God. No, this is actually straight. This is oh, this normal. is just straight up. So that is not. Wow, it's way milder than I was expecting it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a pretty strong ferment, actually. And, you know, there was a little bit of crunchiness, I think, in that. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, so that's actually, so the biofilm, it has, um, the, the stickiness is because of polyglycans, which are sort of like, uh, think of it as short proteins with a whole bunch of carbohydrate around them. As it matures... It actually, uh, some of those, those uh, degrade and turn into just straight crystals of amino acids. So that's what you're tasting there. It's actually, this is a fairly strong ferment, but what you're not tasting is the bitterness, the ammonia that mass production methods wind up producing. And so a lot of Nata's bad reputation is because what you can get if you go to, you know, just a random Asian market is it's not the good stuff. And it's been frozen and shipped overseas. So it's been pretty, it wasn't that great to begin with, and it's been abused. So a lot of Nato's reputation, I think, is because, well, up until recently, it's been hard to get the good stuff. Now there are a few companies doing it in the U.S., and we are really excited. We think this can really be a thing. Yeah, definitely, listeners, like, if you like strong cheese, this is milder than strong cheese. So, like, it's going to be really delicious. Wow. Well, it took a while to get there. Yeah. How do you like natto? Have you ever had it before? I've never had it before, but I think it's great. What do you like about it? Um, I don't know. It's different than anything I've ever had. It's kind of savory. It feels like, I don't know, I've eaten, like, a lot of, like, cabbage today, and it's something that's different. <laughs> a lot of cabbage here today. A lot of cabbage and 
wine, but this is like different and great. Yeah, I like it a lot. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.